is a beautiful day today. Any day we get to come to church. You have your Bibles with you? Alright, don't need that. That's there. Alright. Well, good morning, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Heights Christian Church. Uh, if you're visiting for the first time, what we are doing as a church, is, uh, as a congregation, is going through the Bible in five years. Since we are in year five, you have missed most of it. But don't worry, we're going to start all over next year, right? Is that right? Right, 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 right. The other two guys disappeared. I'm on my own. Woo! All right. So, if you've been following along in the readings this week, we read the entire book of Joel. That's amazing, right? If you think it's an amazing thing that we read through the entire book, I will submit to you that you did not read it because it's only three chapters. <laughs> so the prophet Joel did not mince words. Some people had a question. If you watched the videos during the week, the title of the, uh, the video on the very first day was How the Cow Ate the Cabbage. But I didn't mention cows. I didn't mention cabbage. I didn't even mention the phrase in that first video, but I did in the last one. And what I did is invited you to come to church this morning to find out where in Joel the cow ate the cabbage. So the prophet Joel didn't mince words. That's the title of today's sermon is How the Cow Ate the Cabbage. So did y'all find it? There's no mention of a cow or cabbage at all in the book of Joel. So what does that mean? To put it bluntly, it is a southern, midwestern, colloquialism, that's a big $5 word that Pastor Mark gave me, that means, it's nothing more than a slang, that means the unadulterated truth. Now that you know what how the cow ate the cabbage means, did you find the unadulterated truth in the book of Joel? I would submit you did. So it's a slang phrase in other parts of the country, and sometimes it's given out back behind a woodshed with a fist or a belt to get the point across. And while I do not condone unnecessary violence, sometimes it is necessary to tell people the unadulterated truth to save them. There's no sugarcoating the truth because it needs to be heard. And it needs to be heard by those who need to heed the warnings that are given. So before we get started... I received some constructive criticism this past week in our life group uh, concerning physical Bibles that you see the yellow on my paper. The yellow is Scripture. And so when I tell you where we're going in it, and then I start reading immediately. So what I'm going to do today is give you time to look it up in your Bibles Either electronically, in your paper Bibles, I will, the only bookmark in mine right now is Joel, because that's the primary of what we're going through. I will look it up, and when I get there, most of y'all should be there, or at least have written down the references. So that's, that's, that's to make it fair, there are no bookmarks in here. There's some ribbons, but they're not on anything I'm doing today. So... If you go through Joel, you'll see these books right here that we have over the Minor Prophets, which have our daily readings in it. 
And you can get those at the information booth in the vestibule. Now, I know Pastor Mark calls it the foyer. Pastor Jeremy calls it the foyer. Pastor John's going to call it the vestibule because I like to be difficult. <laughs> However, if there are cookies, cake, or pie out there, I will call it the foyer. <laughs> so let's begin in Joel chapter 1. <clears throat> or we will begin in Joel chapter 1. Joel is the son of Pethuel. Does anybody know who Pethuel is? Joel's dad. Exactly right. He is Joel's dad. That's all we know about him. So, why he's mentioned, don't know. He might have been famous at one time, but that has been lost to history. Joel is a prophet, and he doesn't sugarcoat what is going on, he jumps right into it. Charles Spurgeon is quoted as saying, Avoid a sugar-coated gospel. Seek the gospel that rips up, wounds, and even kills, for that's the gospel that makes alive again. That is what the prophet Joel does. His words rip up, they wound, and they kill people's desires to continue sinning so that they can come into a right relationship with God. So we're going to start in Joel chapter 1, verse 2 through 5. I got my bookmark there. So I found it. I'm in the New King James Version, in case you wonder why it looks or sounds different than yours. So hear this, you elders, and give ear, all you inhabitants of the land. Has anything like this happened in your days, or even in the days of your fathers? Tell your children about it. Let your children tell their children and their children another generation. What the chewing locust left, the swarming locust has eaten. What the swarming locust left, the crawling locust has eaten. What the crawling locust left, the consuming locust has eaten. Awake, you drunkards, and weep, and wail, all you drinkers of wine, because of, the, because of the new wine, for it has been cut off from your mouth. Joel held nothing back. He gave the raw truth there, telling drunkards to weep and wine drinkers to wail, because there's no more. The locusts have destroyed everything, and the crops are destroyed. We see it in Joel chapter 1, verse 10, so we'll skip on down to 10. The field is wasted, the land mourns, the grain is ruined, the new wine is dried up, the oil fails. Be ashamed, you farmers, wail, you vine dressers, for the wheat and the barley. Because the harvest of the field has perished, the vine is dried up, the fig tree is withered, the pomegranate tree, the palm tree also, and the apple tree. All the trees of the field are withered. Surely joy has withered away from the sons of men. So here we see everything is laid to waste. Nothing is saved. And the last sentence of verse 12 states, joy has withered away from the sons of men. There is no joy this harvest time because there is no harvest. They're not happy. There's no reason to be. Because there's no harvest, there's no offering to God for the harvest. Verses 13 and 14, Joe tells the priest and ministers to put on sackcloth, lament, fast, and gather the elders and cry out to the Lord. He's telling them to repent. He tells them that even the beasts groan 
because of the destruction of the land. You see that in verse 18. We're going to skip on down to verse 19 and 20. I get to turn my page. Oh Lord, to you I cry out. For fire has devoured the open pastures and a flame has burned all the trees of the field. The beasts of the field also cry out to you. For the water brooks are dried up. The fire has devoured the open pastures. We see here the devastation of everything that has happened. Then in chapter 2, we get the bad news. What? That, that's not bad news already? Everything's destroyed. Now we go to chapter 2 and we get the bad news. So we'll read verse, uh, chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. Blow the trumpet in Zion and sound an alarm in my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble. For the day of the Lord is coming, for it is at hand, a day of darkness and gloominess, a day of clouds and thick darkness, like the morning clouds spread over the mountains. The people come, great and strong, the like of whom you've never seen, nor will there ever be any such after them. Even for many successive generations, a fire devours devours before them, and behind them flames burn. The land is like the Garden of Eden before them, and behind them is a desolate wilderness. Surely nothing shall escape them. The appearance is like the appearance of horses, and like swift steeds, so they run. With a noise like chariots over the mountaintops, they leap. Like noise of a flaming fire that devours the stubble, like strong people set in a battle array. Before them, the people writhe in pain. All faces are drained of color. They run like mighty men. They climb the wall like men of war. Everyone marches in formation and they do not break ranks. They do not push one another. Everyone marches in his own column. Though they lunge between weapons, they are not cut down. They run to and fro in the city. They run on the wall. They climb into houses. They enter at the windows like a thief. The earth quakes before them. The heavens tremble. The sun and moon grow dark, and the stars diminish their brightness. The Lord gives voice to them before his army, for his camp is great, for strong is the one who executes his word. For the day of the Lord is great and very terrible. Who can endure it? That sounds terrible. And some scary words. If you read the ESV, though, in verse 11, it says that it is a great and very awesome the lord for the day of the lord is great and very awesome other translations use words like terrible dreadful and exceedingly fearful i agree with them this doesn't sound awesome at all not not in our context anyway it scares me just reading it this is the day of the lord that's coming up one that was happening there as well but we as believers We have a different day of the Lord. Amen to that. So after this, the Lord causes people to repent. I'm going to drop down to chapter 2, verse 12 through 17. Now therefore, says the Lord, turn to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning. So rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and 
and of great kindness. And he relents from doing harm. Who knows if he will turn and relent and leave a blessing behind him, a grain offering and a drink offering for the Lord your God. Blow the trumpet in Zion. Consecrate a fast. Call a sacred assembly. Gather the people. Sanctify the congregation. Assemble the elders. Gather the children and nursing babies. Let the bridegroom go out from his chamber and the bride from her dressing room. Let the priest who minister to the Lord weep between the porch and the altar. Let them say, spare your people, O Lord, and do not give your heritage to reproach. That the nation should rule over them. Why should they say among the peoples, where is their God? Pure unadulterated truth here is that we need to come to a repentance. And that's what Joel was telling the people to do. Did you notice in verse 13 where he said, rend your heart and not your garments? It's very important to understand that. The Lord looks upon the inward person and not the outward appearance. If you change your outward appearance to show humility so that others can see that you have a repentant heart but you have changed nothing inside, you're nothing more than a Pharisee. So let's look at where Jesus talks to the scribes and Pharisees about their outward appearance and their inward appearance. We're going to Matthew 23, verses 27 and 28. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like the whitewashed tombs, which indeed appear beautiful outwardly, but inside are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. Even so, you are outwardly, you, even so, you also outwardly appear righteous to men, but inside you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. If you didn't see the pure, unadulterated truth in that, you weren't paying attention. Because that's what that is. He didn't sugarcoat it. He didn't tell them, well, yeah, you could do better. He just told them. The difference here is that God does not want us to put on a show for others. But to truly rend our hearts in repentance so that we can be shaped into what He wants us to be. Followers of Christ and in a relationship with him. I suggest you read the rest of Matthew 23 when you get a chance because it's a prime example of how the cow ate the cabbage. Jesus did not mince words. He told the Pharisees and the scribes exactly how it was. Telling them the unadulterated truth in order for them to see that their behavior is sending them straight to the pits of hell. And he says so. In Matthew 23, verse 33. Serpents, brood of vipers, how can you escape the condemnation of hell? Ouch. As a pastor, I understand that the Pharisees were supposed to be the religious leaders, teaching people right and wrong. Christ comes in and tells them, how can you escape the condemnation of hell because you're serpents 
and you're a brood of vipers. Joel already showed us how to escape the condemnation of hell when he showed us how to repent, what we needed to do. That is Old Testament. So in the book of Acts, we see Stephen. Stephen's one of my favorites. Telling people how the cow ate the cabbage, and we're going to get there. So we'll turn to Acts, and we'll be in chapter 7, but I'm going to start in chapter 6 with a couple of things. So we're going to surmise this. In chapter 6, verse 5, you'll see that Stephen is a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. Soon afterwards, he is accused of blasphemy. He's taken into custody and he appears before the council. And when the council looks upon him, in verse 15, they said, they saw his face as the face of an angel. And then we'll move to chapter 7. Stephen first tells the story of Abraham in chapter 7. How he was called by God before telling them the story of the children of Jacob who are the patriarchs of the 12 tribes of Israel. He continues with how God used Moses to deliver Israel from Egypt and how the people rebelled against God and worshipped other gods even after seeing the power of Yahweh. Then he quotes Isaiah chapter 66 verse 1 in Acts 7, 49 through 50. And we'll turn to there. Heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. What house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or what is the place of my rest? Has my hands not made all these things? Now we get to the point. Where Stephen shows the council how the cow ate the cabbage. We'll continue on with chapter 7, verse 51 through 53. You stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears. There's no mincing of words there, is there? You always resist the Holy Spirit as the fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who foretold the coming of the just one of whom you now have become the betrayers and murderers who have received the law who have received the law by the direction of angels and have not kept it the raw pure unadulterated truth this was Stephen's last stand he knew they were going to kill him when all else fails you give the truth if they don't like it that's on them So let's continue because I really, really love this part of the story. In verse 54 of chapter 7 through 60. And when they heard these things, they were cut to the heart. And they gnashed at him with their teeth. But he, being full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God. And Jesus standing at the right hand of God and said, Look, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Then they cried out with a loud voice, stopped their ears, and ran him with one accord. And they cast him out of the city and stoned him. 
And the witnesses laid down their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. And they stoned Stephen as he was calling on God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he knelt down and cried out with, one loud, with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Stephen did not mince words. He showed them how the cow ate the cabbage. Told them that they were wrong. Gave them scripture references to do it. They were going to kill him anyway, so he didn't hold anything back. It might be that when you tell someone how the cow ate the cabbage, that you don't walk away physically unharmed. You might get hurt. You might get killed. But there's a message here. Later on, Saul, who was there, became the Apostle Paul. He would endure many hardships and survive because of his telling of the unadulterated truth of Christ. You can find it in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 24 through 27, if you want to read it, but I'll give you the short list. He received 39 lashes five times. That's 40 minus one because 40 usually killed someone. Five times he received 39 lashes. He was beaten with a rod three times. Stoned once. Shipwrecked three times among, among being in peril everywhere he went. From all manners of people who sought to do him harm. And yet he survived. God was not done with him yet. Now that we have chased that tiny little rabbit, let's get back to Joel. And since my bookmark fell out, I have to look for it. But we'll be in Joel chapter 2, verse 21. All right. I'll get there eventually. Don't worry. I missed it. You'd think I'd know where it was, right? See, this is the, the fun part about being on electronics all the time. All right. Fear not, O land. Be glad and rejoice, for the Lord has done marvelous things. God tells his people to be glad and rejoice in the Lord your God. In verse 23. Tells them of the restoration they'll receive in verse 25. That the people will have plenty to eat and will be satisfied in verse 26. God, ever faithful to his people, is there in the midst of them. And he wants them to know this. Jesus was well known for telling the unadulterated truth. Amen? He could do nothing else. During the Olivet Discourse in Matthew chapter 23, the disciples asked Jesus what sign would be for the coming of age. And we will start in Matthew 24. We'll go through verses 1 through 14, if you're taking notes. Then Jesus went out and departed from the temple. And his disciples came up to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said to them, Do you not see all these things? Assuredly, I say to you that not one stone will shall be left here upon another that shall not be thrown down. Now as he sat down on the Mount of Olives, 
the disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us, when will these things be? And with that there will be a sign. And what will be the sign of your coming and the, of the end of age? Jesus answered them and said, Take heed that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ, and will deceive many. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See, what, see that you are not troubled. For all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And there will be famines, pestilences, and earthquakes in various places. All these things are the beginning of sorrows. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you. And you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will be offended, will, be, will betray one another, and will hate one another. Then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. But he who endures to the end shall be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all nations. And then the end will come. There are a few hard truths in this section. First of all, the temple is going to be destroyed. Not one stone left on top of another. Then Jesus describes what seems to be happening today. Wars and rumors of wars. People deceiving each other. Kingdom against kingdom. Famines, pestilences, earthquakes in various places. And these are just the beginning of sorrows. In case you wonder how much more we can endure, we don't know. But I want you to look at... uh, Matthew 24, 9 again. Christ gives a cold, hard fact. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you. And you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. The other day, Pastor Mark sent me an article from Finland where they are putting Scripture on trial. When people use Scripture... They're calling it a hate crime. And they're putting it on trial. These things are happening today. That's difficult to understand, but know this, what Apostle Paul said. We'll go to Philippians 121, I'm sorry. Philippians 121. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. That's a simple truth. What's it mean to live is Christ? Paul here is telling us that as long as he lives, as long as he draws breath, that he will follow Christ, and he will preach Christ, and he will follow the command of Christ from Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Let's turn there real quick. This is called the Great Commission. And Jesus came and spoke to them saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. 
Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all the things I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of age. Amen. We live to serve and to preach the gospel of Christ to all nations. The motto of Heights Christian Church is to love God, love God's people, and love serving God. I say it over and over again because it's true. That's what we do here. We do this through discipleship and coming together as a family to love one another and to help each other out. If you need help and do not ask, you're not going to get help. If you need help and you do ask, with a plethora of people here, all different parts of the body, somebody will have the knowledge of how to help you. Because we come together as a common purpose here at Kites. A.W. Tozer stated, We cannot afford to let down our Christian standards just to hold the interest of people who want to go to hell and still belong to a church. Ouch. But some people expect pastors to get up here and tickle your ears, put on a show and entertain you, and that's not what we're here for. We're here to teach you the Word of God and how to apply it to your life so that you can be more like Christ. That is our goal, that is our mission, and that is what we long to do in ourselves. Are we perfect? (laughs) Not even close. Even pastors, we're not perfect. Charles Spurgeon said, when we think too lightly of sin, we think too lightly of the Savior. That's a hard truth. We cannot dismiss what we do wrongly. We cannot dismiss coming to Christ and asking for forgiveness. What we can do when we do things wrong is to say, Lord, I need help with this because we are not perfect. Spurgeon also said, after 10,000 sins, he loves you as infinitely as ever. Hallelujah and amen. And Praise God for that, that his love does not stop Because by our very nature, we sin, but Christ still loves us. But what if our sin is too great? Spurgeon also states, it is folly to think that God provides grace for every trouble but the one you are in today. That's foolish thinking. He provides grace for everything you're going through. You want scriptural scriptural proof of this? Let's go to Lamentations. 3, 21, or 22 and 23, rather. It's in here somewhere. See, I told you I didn't bookmark anything. We'll get there. Invitations after that. All right. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. This is the uh, ESV version. Steadfast Lord of the love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Those are beautiful words. The Lord never ceases to love us. Another hard truth and a beautiful one. God is faithful and he loves us. When we are filled with the love of God, that love pours out 
onto those around us, and it is beyond our control. There will come a time when we are around those who do not receive that love, but will respond with undeniable hatred. Are you able to do what Stephen did and ask God not to hold it against them? We may not be able to, but it might be a goal for us to strive to. Let us stand. All right, let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for the hard truths that is shown in your word. The truths that serve to remind us of the dangers of not following you and what your word tells us. But more importantly, we thank you for Christ on the cross and the grace that we receive when we sin against you. Thank you for being there with us when we think you are too far away. Thank you for bringing us peace in our lives. Even when it seems chaotic, you are there with us to give us the peace that surpasses all understanding. And we know that when we seek you, we will find you. We also want to thank you, Lord, for this meal we're about to receive and bless those who have prepared it and set it up for the Volunteer Appreciation Luncheon. We thank you for their service and unselfishness and for their example of serving you through serving others. Be with each of us now as we leave this place. Shine brightly your light in our lives so that others may see Christ in us. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.